16 weeks, 13 wins, and one long playoff run ahead of us. This is Packers Championship Countdown. And the Packers will take the number one seed in the NFC into the postseason. Our mission, a Lombardi Trophy. Our target, Tampa. Our championship countdown starts now. This is Target Tampa Championship Countdown. Now, here are your hosts, Greg Matzik and Gabe Neitzel. All right, the energy is a little strange in the studio tonight. We're going to try and make sure it is a cohesive studio when we leave here tonight at 8 o'clock because I am feeling great. I am feeling wonderful about this weekend. Wayne, uh, Gabe, you know what I got here? You see, you see what this is in my hand? You got a duffel bag. That's yeah, a suitcase. And you know what's in it? <laughs> I call them a duffel bag, but okay. sure. You got cash in there. You, you know, you just see yeah, a big, uh, big wads of cash. You know what I have in here today? I have uh, got some athletic shorts. Oh, so I sure. might go for a run in Tampa. Sure. Uh, I've got my uh, ESPN Good Karma Brands pullover. I, I might be too warm, actually, for Tampa. I've got some clothes uh, that I can do walking around. I am packed. I am packed and ready to go. My bag is packed for Tampa. I am set. I just need to add some socks and toiletries and whatever my wife makes me take. Now, you, on the other hand, I see some haze over the Gabe Neitzel position in our studio here in Milwaukee. I've been made fun of for this. Like, James Jones has been on my case. All season long. Anytime I bring up the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, anytime Dennis Krause on Packers Preview throws out a question to the panel and, you know, what team are you scared of in the NFC? What team worries you the most? And I just kept coming back to Tampa Bay. Even though this is a team that lost to the Chicago Bears during the regular season, this is a team that lost 38-3 to to the Saints. They also drubbed the Packers 38-10. to And I just... Cannot and look, I understand. Throughout the course of an NFL season, even though it's only 16 games, what happened that long ago, both teams have changed since then. But I just can't get that 38 to 10 drubbing out of my head. That's not to say I don't think the Packers can't win. I'm just saying that I still have nightmares over Aaron Rodgers throwing nearly two pick sixes in a game. It's one of two games that Aaron Rodgers had a quarterback rating under a hundred this year. The, the offense just looked completely inept. They couldn't do anything. And it scares me, Greg. Like, I am scared of Sunday's game. Like, this is the one team that I am scared of in the NFC. And they're the ones coming to Lambeau Field on Sunday. The only thing that I have been nervous about in the last 24 hours is some questionable tuna salad that I had for dinner. And uh, we're going to see if that makes its way through the <laughs> Matzik system here before the end of the program tonight. Uh, if Gabe just takes over, you'll understand why. Uh, I am not worried, and Gabe is... Sort of worried. Where do you stand here? 855-616-1620 if you'd like to join us. Former Packers salary cap guru Andrew Brandt will get his thoughts coming up in just a couple of minutes. So here's our options. We'll put it up on the poll here, at 620 WTMJ on Twitter. Gabe can't get bad thoughts out of his head. I'm already packed for the Super Bowl. Where's your head at? Are you figuratively already packed, or can you not wipe away 38 to 3? 855-616-1620. Here's why I'm not worried about 38-3. I watched this game back. I really did. And I wanted to see where things went south for the Packers. What happened? How did this turn into an absolute mess? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much, in my opinion, the Buccaneers taking away the Packers' run. Because I looked at the stats first. Well, Aaron didn't have a good day. Neither Aaron had a good day. Nobody named Aaron had a good day. 
Aaron Jones rushed for 15 yards and 10 carries. Whoa. The Buccaneers didn't take away the Packers' run game, however. Matt LaFleur took it away from his own team. The Packers still averaged over four and a half yards per carry that day. They just didn't have any attempts. Meanwhile, the Buccaneers' defense feasted on Aaron Rodgers. They sacked him a season-high five times. Rodgers with two picks in the game, also a season-high. These are all outlier stuff. This is Pluto, which is now being recognized as a planet once again, as it should be. Wait, what are we doing? With Pluto? Really? Again? It's back. Wait, when did I miss this? It's just it's always in the news cycle. Man. It's been a busy couple weeks. Just kind of set your watch like every six months we're going to have the the debate about Pluto. These are outliers. Um, Week six is an outlier. Again, which is... I don't think that Tampa Bay is going to come in here. Like this is it's certainly different than last year when the Packers were playing a team in the NFC Championship game that trounced them earlier in the regular season. Two things are different. A, this one's at home. And B, there was nothing that the Packers did last year during the course of the rest of the regular season through the postseason that made you think Yeah, they've got what it takes to slow down the 49ers' rushing attack. And then the 49ers ran wild on them in the NFC Championship game. Now, the Packers' defense, I think, has done better things. I mean, Tom Brady didn't have a great game against the Packers. He had a couple touchdowns, but he's 17-27 for 166 yards. I will take that. Like, that is slowing Tom Brady down. But 123 yards for Ronald Jones and a couple of touchdowns, or excuse me, 113 yards for him, the ground game was really good for Tampa Bay. They had 158 yards on the ground the last time around. But the Packers' rush defense has gotten better. When you hold Derrick Henry to 98 yards, yeah, it's practically 100, but it's not 100. And, you know, dude had over 2,000 yards rushing. That was one of Derrick Henry's worst games of the season. The Packers' run defense has been better. But they still have things that the Packers have struggled with. And even though they got up in that game 10-0, and I think you're right, Greg, I think getting away from the running game, and I think especially last week, you know, if Vita Vea plays this week, he's coming off of, and he's, he's probably going to play because they've activated him, but he hasn't played football in 15 weeks. My guess is Matt LaFleur runs right at him, much like they saw Aaron Donald last week and went, oh, you think you're healthy? Let's find out. I think they're going to do the same thing to Vita Vea. I don't think they're going to give up on the run game because it's been so successful, but there are things that Tampa Bay does that still scare me, and I'm not just cruising into this game the way I would if, let's say, the Saints were coming to Green Bay. Both teams are streaking into the NFC Championship game Sunday at Lambeau. The Packers have won six straight. The Buccaneers have won seven in a row. They've also been outstanding on the road. Let's bring him in. One of our good friends, always happy to talk to, former Packers salary cap guru Andrew Brandt joins us on the hotline. Andrew, are your bags figuratively packed for Tampa, or are you worried about week six and what happened to the Packers in Florida. Hey guys, you know me, and if you follow me as many people up there do, I'm unabashedly biased. (laughs) I pick them every week. I picked Aaron for MVP every week. I picked them number one in the power poll every week on my Sports Illustrated stuff. So yeah, I I like their chances. I and being more biased year. than James Jones is quite an accomplishment, Andrew. <laughs> like, I think James has at least picked against them once. Yeah, I mean, listen, as you mentioned, that was the down down moment of the year, uh, the Tampa game. But it's kind of you can look at it, as I do, as a good thing, as we play them again and revenge on the mind of the team. And, of course, a completely different atmosphere in the frigid temps of Green Bay. So we'll see what happens. I just, you know, this is a team that seems to be hitting its cylinders. Aaron is, um, 
you know, he's a man in full. He's just at the top of his game. Uh, at, at age 37, he seems to be peaking, if not still on the way to peaking. And, you know, when you have that, and Tom Brady's played well this year, but he hasn't played near this level. Andrew, part of the reason we wanted to have you on here was to uh, reflect on your time working with the Packers, uh, your time that overlapped with uh, the late Ted Thompson. It's been a challenging week in Green Bay. Who would have ever known that Ted's first pick would be one game away from achieving another Super Bowl opportunity in the year 2021? That is hitting a pick out of the park. It's, you know, it's a nice thing that has happened this week. And, I, you know, of course, you never want to say anyone losing their life. But the fact that he's now recognized for this, I think a lot of people, even inside Packer Nation and certainly outside Packer Nation, don't know the full weight of what this guy did. And the players that are still playing at key roles like Aaron, like Mason, like Bakhtiari, like Lindsley, like Devontae. I mean, this these were his, his guys. And, you know, as I've expressed throughout the past few days, this was a guy who, very few words, I shared an office with him for a year. I think we had three or four conversations. Um, he was never there. You know, he's always bird-dogging, most comfortable with in a dark room watching film, just all about the players, never about him. And he let everyone do their jobs. You know, he developed football players, but he also developed talent in the front office with John Schneider and John Dorsey and Reggie McKenzie and Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith and Brian Gutekunst. You know, those were his disciples. And he let me sort of handle my area in finance. He never even oversaw a lot of what I did. He just trusted me. So it was really a, a guy that didn't get a lot of attention because no, he never sought it. And now people are realizing, oh, <laughs> he picked all those great players. Yeah, he did. Back in 2005, when did you guys have an idea that Rodgers could potentially be there when you picked? And how resolute was Ted when the pick came up that Rodgers was going to be the guy? We had about 20 players rated first-round grades, and 19 of them were off the board a couple of picks before ours. So it was pretty clear where we are going to be looking now and our coaches were upset like oh my god this can't happen we can't take a player that won't help us this year maybe not next year maybe never you know coaches are judged on immediate results and there was a lot of buzz in that room leading up to the pick and i just remember ted looking at me looking at mike sherman looking at his scouts like what do we always say we say trust the board and the board is telling us that's the name. We're not going to dip into the second round grades to take a defensive lineman or cornerback or whatever it might be. And it was just, he was resolute. He was completely resolute. And as you know, I've told us that we had a draft party going on at Lambeau that night. And when that happened, the booze below us shook us to our souls. I mean, it was, like, oh, my God, and Brett called the coach, and Brett's agent called me, and no one's happy. We're getting Ds and Fs from the the, the graders of the, on the media. And, yeah, there we were. You know, we we had a, he had a conviction about Aaron Rodgers, and 
it was tough those three years where he, I, Schneider, we all had to manage this where, you know, Brett wasn't happy coming to work every day, sitting next to his replacement. And Aaron wasn't thrilled, not playing, not knowing if he'd ever play. And, uh, you know, you just had like trust the board. We had to trust him. And uh, it was never in his nature to say, I told you so about Aaron but he should be getting the plaudits now. Andrew, was there ever a time where you sat in that draft room and you thought to yourself, I have no idea where Ted's going to go here, and did he surprise you with any pick that he made? Yeah, he liked certain guys that he tried to keep to himself. Um, You know, the year before, or the year after Aaron, you know, was our year where we, because... When we took Aaron, no one helped us from the draft, and obviously we had a terrible year, so we were picking fifth. And that was the year with Reggie Bush and with Mario Williams and with Vince Young and and Vernon Davis and all these great players. And I knew he had his heart set on somebody. I just didn't know who. And the whole lead-up to the draft, I just knew that, that he was convicted about a certain player, but I didn't know who. And then he let it out, you know, when we were there. It's like A.J. Hawk. A.J. Hawk was a guy that he just loved. He loved his intensity. He loved what he did on the field, off the field. He was the hardest worker we had, A.J. Hawk. Um, and there were other players like that. Greg Jennings was something he kind of hid from everyone because he had a special feeling about Greg. Um and I'll tell you, Mason Crosby, when we got to that fifth round or sixth round pick, he called in the special teams coaches who were always kind of looking for kickers and like this guy or that guy. And Ted never did much of this, but he called him in. And he said, hey, listen, I want to take this guy, Mason Crosby. And if I do, he's going to be your kicker. Okay? Are you good with that? And they they, they, they were like dumbfounded. Like, they oh, they better be good with that. So they said, Okay so that we cut like three kickers the next day. So those are the kind of stories. I mean, even, I mean, you brought him up a little bit earlier, Andrew, but you just take a look at this offense and, you know, there is so much of Ted over, you know, just fingerprints all over this offense. And you look at his his track record of drafting, you know, running backs and wide receivers and offensive linemen, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that has a record that he does in terms of finding and evaluating offensive talent. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a, he's an elite, elite talent evaluator. You know, you're going to sort of look through the annals, and Ron Ron's going to be in that too, Ron Wolf. But he's elite. I mean, I'm not so sure how. You know, it's not my lane. But he'd sit in that room. You know, he had an office, but he spent most of his time in that war room, in that draft room, and he would just be in the dark and study these guys. And, I, you know, it's a good feeling when you work for an organization. You know the guy picking players knows what he's doing, right? You just know, knows what he's doing. But in our final minutes here, I want to let you know that he, you know, I think organizations need to stand for something. When he got the job at GM in 2005, he came right in and he said, Andrew, he, we knew each other. And he said, I just want you to know, number one, I trust you, do your job, 
it's your area. Number two, we're not going to sign free agents. He just, I just don't like that. I don't like that. I build, you know, we draft and develop. And I said, I get it. You know, I get it. That's what we do. And I'm going to pay a lot of money for players, Ted, but they're going to be our players. He said, exactly, exactly. And the Packers are always one of the highest spending teams, which people don't believe because we don't spend it on other players, (laughs) but we spend it on our own. And you see that every year. Really good stuff, Andrew. I know it's been a challenging week. Uh, You lost a friend. Packers Nation lost uh, a man who helped restore glory, and he delivered on a promise. He brought a Super Bowl team to Green Bay and helped secure its future for nearly two decades. Really appreciate your time. Enjoy this weekend of football and the Packers-Buccaneers game specifically on Sunday. Yeah, go Pack. You bet. That's uh, Andrew Brand. Always great to talk to Andrew. Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee, will join us coming up about 6.40. We need to clear the haze that's in our studio. Are your bags figuratively packed for Tampa? Or are you hung up on week six, the Packers' most lopsided loss of the season? 855-616-1620 if you'd like to join us as we continue after this. Give Aaron Jones, burrows his way up the middle to the goal line. And we get an indication for touchdown yet. Oh, my goodness. And now we get the indication for touchdown. Well, that was anticlimactic. The man with the call, voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee, will join us coming up at about uh, about 25 minutes or so. I'm Greg Matzik. He's Gabe Neitzel. This is Target Tampa Championship Countdown coverage. Got you for another hour and a half. 855-616-1620. And I want to take a snapshot of our listeners and fans tonight. Is your bag figuratively packed? Mine is literally packed. It's sitting right next to me. It's my version of a suitcase. Gabe called it a a duffel bag. I mean, I think you could get away with that being a a carry-on. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh, hey. head. And and I got this rolling teak uh, technique sort of mastered where I, you know, oh. roll up my polos and then it's not wrinkled. You're a golfer, you know what that's oh. all about. Very much respect. Right. Absolutely you have to, because you can't take an iron to those fabrics. You gotta roll, baby, roll. Gabe is still a little bit hung up on week six. I'm nervous about him. He's got a long way to go. It's you know, getting closer to game time. I want this to be cleared. I want to know where you at. Are you hung up on that week six loss, or are you figuratively packed for the Super Bowl? I'll tell you this right now, Greg. Uh, I'm only going to get more nervous. Like the fact that the game's on sat- Sunday this week versus last week, the Saturday game. Oh, that was perfect. Just roll out of, into your weekend, start it right away with Packers football. Not going to wait until Sunday. Granted, it is the earlier of the two games, so at least we have that going for us. But I mean, having to wait till Sunday stinks. I really enjoyed the Saturday football. I did not enjoy enjoy the two weeks leading up to Saturday football (laughs) because I was starting to build that same uh, bit of nervous anxiety. And I'm just anxious to watch this team play again. And I'll go back to what I said a week ago. I just feel totally different about this team today than I did a year ago at this time. A year ago at this time, I was in Santa Clara. We were doing shows from a a great sports bar, not even a sports bar, more of a barbecue joint, in San Jose. We had made it our home. It was a blast. And I could not convince myself to believe the Packers were better than the 49ers. If you take this away, if you could just do that, maybe San Francisco won't do this. If you can control Bosa, just talk yourself into it. It ain't going to work. The Packers weren't better. I feel like the Packers are better. Than Tampa Bay. I get the Tom Brady factor. Believe me, I get it. Plenty of talent. 
I just feel like the Packers are a better team. Is this the best you felt of them going into an NFC Championship game since... Did you feel good in 2014 uh, against I Seattle? I didn't feel great about 2014 because I thought the road was a nightmare and Russell Wilson had pulled a rabbit out of his hat before against the Packers and I didn't so much like it. Uh, the last time I felt truly confident the Packers would win an NFC Championship game was against Chicago the Super Bowl year. In fact, I felt better about the Chicago game than I did the Philadelphia game and the Atlanta game especially. Oh, yeah. No, once they got to that NFC Championship game, and maybe because they had beaten the Bears in Week 17, um, I, I felt really good about that Packers team. I, f- I strangely felt okay about the Packers going into Seattle, despite, again, another situation where they got trounced during the regular season. But that was Week 1, and the game plan that they had put together for that game was just so terrible that yes. they clearly were not going to repeat that. Maybe I should feel the same way, because like we, we mentioned before, the Packers abandoned the run. And that's not something that Matt LaFleur has done very often. In fact, last week, they got all three running backs involved, and A.J. Dillon may have had a couple more carries had he not fumbled and suffered an injury on the same play. Um, I think they get all three running backs involved in in this week's game plan and don't just try to heavily rely on Aaron Rodgers to make everything happen and then you know have, have some plays over the top open up off of play action. But that, that speed of the defense, particularly in the middle, has been something that's given the Packers issues over the last two seasons. Uh, no doubt about that. So no, so here's my thought on the weather, because it's a natural segue. Everybody is saying, even Matt LaFleur, eh, the weather's not a big factor. He's talking it down. Bruce Arians is controlling that message in Tampa, saying, eh, weather's not going to be a big deal. 28 ain't that cold. Meanwhile, Devontae Adams is saying, that's a big deal. It's hard to get your footing. It's hard to quickly pivot and run with somebody. I feel like Tampa's defense especially is built for speed. Chris Godwin is built for speed on offense. Antonio Brown's built for speed. He could probably handle the elements, but he's not going to play. He's not going to travel. Tampa Bay's D is a speed defense. And I think that gets neutralized to some degree on Lambeau Field. Makes me feel a little bit better. Okay, I'm working at it. I'm chipping away. You are chipping away. I think that makes sense because Lambeau Field has been a slippery surface at times where you've seen it's taken guys a quarter to kind of figure out the right kind of spike they want to put at the bottom of their shoe to make sure they've got the right footing. And yeah, well, 28 doesn't seem that cold to us. If you're used to, you know, 70s, that's a 50-degree difference, my friend. Yes. That's a big, that is a big drop-off. And yes, it's worse when it gets down to the, you know, like it is, was today around Milwaukee. When it's 13 degrees, yes, that is still much worse than 28. But if the snow comes in, there, there are a lot of elements that get, you know, that you start to think about. For example, when Tennessee came in, it wasn't super cold. The snow was falling. But they clearly didn't want anything to do with the elements that were happening at Lambeau Field in that primetime game in Week 16. Here's what Devontae Adams had to say about the weather factor for Sunday's contest at Lambeau. You come to Lambeau, you're playing a different brand of football. It takes you out of your element as far as the way you talk, the way you play. You get rattled, man. It's, it's tougher to communicate. It was just everything was on our side. Um, so it was just about coming out and just playing Packer football and and when we do that, nobody can stop us. Yeah, you had similar things to say uh, later this week about you know, just it, the challenges of finding your footing and, you know, being on solid and stable ground. I, I just think it's interesting how some are trying to play it up. Others are trying to say it's overblown. Even Matt LaFleur, he's not sold that the weather's a big deal. He said it before the Rams game. He said it again earlier this week. You know, I'm not going to make too big of a deal out of the whole weather thing. Bottom line is we got to play our best football game against a really well-coached team with a bunch of stars. 
As for Adams again. The best way to misdirect is obviously getting your feet outside your framework. And when you do that in the snow, you lose traction. You know, with them being in Tampa, obviously they, there's no way to simulate the cold weather or the snow. So they may not slip every play, but it's, it's about getting them to slip or not feel as confident with their footwork. Kind of a mixed message coming out of Green Bay. Bruce Arians doing his best to shut it all down before it becomes a thing. Somebody will get off that plane, step off and say, whew. Right? Oh, 100%. Their throat will drop to their stomach because they haven't experienced it before. Whether that translates to a team-wide collapse of the Buccaneers remains to be seen. I think the most important players on Tampa's team on offense will have no issue with the weather. But a speed defense, it might be a little more challenging to get off the ball. I mean, I think there's a reason Tom Brady chose a warm weather climate. That's right. His blood is thinning. I mean, he, 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 did, not, he did not look comfortable despite playing in new england his his entire career and he has played in some of the worst weather games you've ever seen up there in foxborough he did not look comfortable he did not look good in the cold weather last year when tennessee went to new england and beat them in the wild card round he just didn't look comfortable it kind of reminded me of brett Favre. i mean brett Favre, his record at lambeau field below you know freezing temperatures was i mean forget it he was Brett Favre and the Packers were going to win. And then in 2007, that NFC Championship game, it was brutally cold, and he looked like he would rather be anywhere else because that's how cold it was. Now, we're not going to have that type of cold at Lambeau Field on Sunday, but I think there's something to Tom Brady making sure he chose a warm weather climate for the team that he wanted to play for next because he didn't want to have to necessarily deal with the conditions even if they're going to be relatively mild for Green Bay in late in late January, I don't think he wanted to deal with that. Packers already beat one warm weather team in the Los Angeles Rams. We'll recap a little highlight montage of the divisional round of the playoffs. The Packers 32 to 18 win. We'll do that coming up on the other side. Also, voice of the Packers Wayne Larvey and the quote of the week from Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians. It's after this. Target Tampa Championship Countdown continues. Rodgers rolls right, looking end zone, still looking, throws right side, he's got his man, touchdown, Marquez Valdez, Scanling in the right corner of the end zone, they beat Jason Verrett, fourth touchdown pass of the game for Rodgers, second touchdown reception for MVS, and that very well may be the dagger in this one. Target Tampa. Championship countdown coverage continues. Greg and Gabe with you for another hour and a half. Wayne Larvey, the voice of the Packers, will join us coming up in about five minutes. Uh, I thought the quote of the week came out of Tampa. So a very interesting situation here for the Buccaneers. In NFL history, a team that is played in the Super Bowl has never done so on their home field. So as the Buccaneers are practicing throughout this week... They're also getting ready for a Super Bowl, a rather large event in Tampa. So there's Super Bowl banners being put up in around the stadium, and it's been a backdrop for Bruce Arians' team while they're practicing, preparing for the NFC Championship game. Arians was asked about that juxtaposition. We don't play that game this week. That's the message to everybody. We play the Packers in the NFC Championship game. You start thinking about the Super Bowl, get your ass beat and be packing your bags on Monday. There you go. Bruce Arians, <laughs> quote of the week. From uh, earlier this week. That's interesting, though. Can you imagine that, right? You're getting ready to play in the NFC Championship game. you got to leave your home with the hopes of coming back to play essentially a home game 
on the largest stage in NFL history. Minnesota got close a couple close. of years right. ago. That's the only time, the time that I, I can remember that a team was in a championship game with the possibility of if they win that game, they're going to be playing a Super Bowl at their home field. Well, I am not all for watching NFL history be made. So yes, one of the many reasons my bag is figuratively and literally packed. How did the Packers get this far? Well, a divisional round matchup against the Los Angeles Rams. Green Bay entered the playoffs with a 13-3 and record and a first-round bye. Well-rested and anxious to play in the elements, Aaron Rodgers guided the offense to the doorstep on the opening possession. On third down, Rodgers trying to get him in a line change, throws the middle. EQ's got it inside the 10, breaks a tackle to the 5. He's down at the 4-yard line of the Rams. But the drive stalled, and the Packers settled for a Mason Crosby field goal. It's just inside the left hash mark. Snap and placement is clean. The kick is to the uprights, and it is good. And the Packers on the board first off their first drive of the game. 3-0 Green Bay, 8:39 left to go in this first quarter. It was the 14th occasion in which Rodgers and the Packers scored on its opening drive. The Rams even the game at 3 with a 37-yard field goal just four minutes later. And then the Packers... Second drive started in the first quarter. Slot left, single receiver right. Rodgers in the shotgun, sent back to his right. Here's the handoff, Williams. Jamal up the middle, burrowing his way between the hash marks. Cross the 25-30. Down he goes at the 33-yard line. And it's a first down, Green Bay. Justin Hollins on the tackle, eight-yard gain. And it ended in the second. Jamal to the right side of the quarterback in the shotgun. Devontae goes in motion to the right. Quick toss. Devontae's got it. End zone. Touchdown. And the Rams got crossed up on the motion prior to the snap. And Jalen Ramsey is incensed in the right corner of the end zone. 14 plays, 84 yards, 7 minutes, 49 seconds, and the Packers took a 10-3 lead. Green Bay's defense pitched a 3-and-out in their next series, keyed by a second-down sack of Jared Goff. Goff looks it over, gets motion to the right side, shotgun snap, Goff under pressure, he's sacked! Zedarius Smith up the A-gap! Decks the quarterback back inside the 20, and it's third and long coming up for Los Angeles. The Packers started drive number three, 47 yards from Paydirt, with Aaron Rodgers faking out the Rams' defense for the final yard. Long count, snap Rodgers, fakes the handoff, bootlegs right, pump fakes once and again, takes it himself to the end zone, he's in there, just inside the right pylon, touchdown! But the extra point was botched and Green Bay's lead was 16-3. to Pesky Rams would not fold, Los Angeles moved briskly down the field for a touchdown covering 75 yards in just three minutes, but... They left Aaron Rodgers 29 seconds to work with. After a 21-yard completion to Devontae Adams, Rodgers found his tight end on the very next play. Snap to A-Rod. Rushes on. Rodgers has time. Rolls left. Now comes back right. Chased by Donald. Throws right side. Tenyon's got it. Right sidelines out of bounds. Los Angeles 20-yard line. Rodgers got it away just in time with Donald in hot pursuit. They beat Jalen Ramsey on the play. First down on a 33-yard pass play. And that set up the final score of the first half. A 39-yard field goal attempt off the right hash mark. Four seconds ago in the half. Snap and placement. Swing to the right leg. End over end kick to the uprights. It is good! And the Packers finish the half 
with a field goal to take a nine-point lead to intermission, 19-10 to 10 over the Rams. The Packers started the second half with the ball and took advantage on the very first play from scrimmage. Jones to his right. They move Devontae in motion to the left. Hand off to Jones up the middle. Has a hole. Breaks through to the 40. Cutting left. 45-50. Still on his feet. Left sidelines to the 20. To the 15. Angled out of bounds. Showtime. Jordan Fuller chased him out. To the 15-yard line of the Rams. My goodness. Dan Jones would finish what he started five plays later. Motion to the left by Devontae. Give his to Jones. Spinning left side. End zone. Touchdown. On the spin, Aaron Jones. The Packers' two-point conversion attempt failed, but the lead grew to 25-10. But the Rams would not go away. Now Akers waiting for the snap of the shotgun. Takes the snap. Slams to his right. Cuts it back toward the middle. Dragging Barnes to the end zone. Touchdown. Leading 25-18 in the fourth, Rodgers on the very next drive did a little dinking and dunking before blowing the lid off of Lambeau Field. Rodgers takes, fakes the handoff, looks to throw, lofts it down the middle. Lazard's got it, and he's gone! He is gone! Touchdown! The Packers with a dagger! 31-18, Allen Lazard, 58 yards! The dagger was thrown. All the Packers' defense needed to do was find room for one final stop. Single receiver to the right. Set back to the right side of Jared Goff. Here's the snap. Looking downfield. He steps up under pressure. He sacked! Rashawn Gary collapsed on the play with help, I believe, from Kenny Clark. Yes! And the Packers take over. 32-18 the final. Green Bay's sixth consecutive win, setting up Sunday's NFC Championship game against the Buccaneers. The man who will have the call on Sunday, the man behind the highlights we just played, is voice of the Packers, Wayne Larvey. More of that, Wayne. Uh, If you you just have more highlights, like all we just played, some running the football, a deep shot to Alan Lazard. I'm not picky. Throw it to MVS if you'd like. Uh, the Packers' offense is certainly grooving going into the NFC Championship game. Yeah, they're playing really well, Greg, especially during the seven-game winning streak. Um, you know, a very high level. And that defense they took apart last week, I mean, they made the Rams look bad. You know, 480-some yards of offense against the number one defense. They're not playing as good a defense overall this week as they did last week. But this Tampa Bay team is very talented. How do you feel differently going into NFC Championship game this year versus last? Uh, I feel the Packers have a better than 50-50 chance of winning. Uh, I didn't think they had any chance last year, and I didn't think they had any chance when they got to Atlanta in 2016. You know, I I think Super Bowl depth is something, Wayne, that that I've noticed, and it's not significant pickups, but it's adding Tremont Williams. It's adding Jared Valdir, if he ends up factoring in. It's adding Snacks Harrison uh, and others. It, it, it seems like you have to have Super Bowl depth. You have to be able to account for guys who have gone down. And, and the Packers maybe in no other area or aspect of the team have done it as well as the offensive line. This still to me is maybe the unsung story of the year with this team. 
Yeah, I would agree, Greg. Um, with all the changes, they've had four different lines that they've had to roll out there. And uh, you're exactly right. I think the scheme has helped, but also, hey, these guys have played well. I mean, you look at Billy Turner and what he's been able to do. Uh, he gets over to the hot corner, and, and you know, he faces the best now that Bakhtiari is down. And, uh, you know, Turner was considered somewhat, or if you read pro football focus, as I do, he was rated the uh, weak spot of the Packers offensive line at right guard last year. Well, this year he's a strength on this line because he's played so many different positions. Um, I think the versatility of Elton Jenkins, the all-pro guard, um, you know, he can play center. He can play uh, either side of the uh, um, uh, pivot position. He can play tackle. Uh, you know, these guys, this has really been great. I think the pickup of Rick Wagner was very good. He's a solid guy who knows how to play in this league. And there was a point in his career where he was the highest paid tackle in the right tackle in the game. So, um, um, you've, you've, you've got great versatility. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The offensive line has gone unsung this season, but they are the reason why the Packers are where they are. Wayne, I know it was a number of weeks ago. It was early in the season. So much has changed since then. But I can't seem to shake the 38-10 to 10 feeling. Not that that's going to happen again this weekend, but there are certainly things that Tampa Bay can do to make life difficult for the Packers. When you look at the matchup and for the NFC Championship game for the one back in Week 6, what's the biggest difference from the Packers from Week 6 to now? Well, um, I think Devontae Adams said it best. Uh, they're able to make more in-game adjustments now. They're just further along in the season. They can uh, adjust to things that may or may not happen in the game on the fly. And, um, you know, that's one of uh, the one thing. Uh, the other factor is this. What jumped out at me, and I watched, went back and watched the game twice, um, the speed of Tampa Bay's linebacking core, and especially even watching last week's game um, in New Orleans, the speed uh, of Devin White. Um, those two inside linebackers literally destroyed Green Bay, um, single-handedly destroyed the Packers uh, that day. Uh, they were all over the field, um, you know, had like three sacks, 18 tackles. It, it was just amazing. Um, I think that speed, when you go outdoors um, in a a cold environment on a field that may be a little bit slick, uh, you know, that's going to impact them. Uh, they're not going to be maybe as fast as they were uh, that day in Tampa. But they, you know, they had 18 tackles, 15 solos, two and a half sacks, five tackles for loss, four quarterback uh, hits. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, if they play that well um, Sunday, then God bless them. They're going to the Super Bowl and they're going to play that Super Bowl game at home. And how many polo shirts uh, should I put in my suitcase here, Wayne? More of a polo community Tampa, or is it uh, button-downs? I'm just trying to pack ahead here and just, you know, get ready. Yeah, no, I, it's John Gruden used to live there, so, uh, you know, not Apollo's probably too formal. Okay. Uh, you know, you might want to go with the Hawaiian shirts, that type of thing, something oh. loud. Okay. <laughs> well, can I borrow something from your closet? <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> I've got plenty of loud. <laughs> uh, you know, look, I'm not trying to be flip or anything. I, do, I just feel more confident about this team. Both teams are streaking. I get it. And you could argue both teams are playing their best football of the year and that these are, in fact, the best two teams left in the NFL. Brady will handle the elements. He'll handle the weather. But I, I'm totally on board with your point about speed being neutralized when you are out in the elements. And I, I thought New Orleans was a, a team that had an incredibly talented roster, also built for speed. I was watching that game last weekend, Wayne, thinking the, the Packers, I think, have an advantage as much as they're trying to downplay weather. 
I think there's something to it when you're facing a team built on speed. Yeah, and Greg, it's not just the weather and sub-zero and all this other stuff and wind and all that. It, it's just the field. I mean, it's a different track than uh, what they're used to down in Tampa or in the domes where, you know, the Buccaneers play a lot of their games in the uh, NFC South. You're playing in good weather and tight turf, fast tracks, that kind of thing. It's a little bit different at Lambeau Field, and I think that's going to bode well for the Packers. But you're exactly right. These are two teams playing really well. Um, you know, you're exactly right there's something about this game I mean I think Tampa you look at the skill positions of Tampa offensively I mean you know who has more talent than the Buccaneers tell me one team that has more uh, you know talent around a quarterback uh, than Tampa Bay has and you you can't there isn't a team so they have tremendous talent they have excellent talent across the board on defense but where the Packers can get these guys is if um, if they go ahead and blitz which I don't think they'll do as much as they did in Tampa but if they go ahead and do that and Rodgers gets a fraction of time uh, he can pick apart the secondary trust me uh, they're not nearly as good as the secondary we saw last week from Los Angeles Wayne, a tough week up in Green Bay with the passing of former general manager Ted Thompson. But when you look at this Packers roster, I mean, his fingerprints are still all over it, especially from an offensive perspective. Um, what are you going to remember most about former Packers general manager Ted Thompson? Uh, that he came to Green Bay and he built a Super Bowl team. Um, I'll never forget it. Mike Holmgren, when Ted was about to leave Seattle, Mike had brought him up to Seattle to build a Super Bowl team there, which he did, by the way. They made it to the Super Bowl. Um, but he, he said in an interview, he said, you know, one thing I can assure you, Ted Thompson will build a Super Bowl team in Green Bay. And that's exactly what he did. It took him about five years, but he got it done. He did a tremendous job in building that team, putting the right pieces in place. Um, he gets a lot of credit for the selection of Aaron Rodgers, and he should. Um, but he also, he was a scout at heart, and that's what I'll remember most about him. I don't think he liked the trappings uh, of um, general manager. Um, uh, you know, I, I think some of the duties maybe got in, in the way of what he enjoyed best. Grinding over tape, going to college campuses, seeing players in person, sizing them up, talking to them, that kind of thing. He didn't want the notoriety of, of being, he was a very shy person, uh, very introspective, and he didn't like the notoriety that being the general manager was all about. And, um, you know, so he was a scout at heart, and y you have to promote guys that are as good as he is, but in the end, that's what he was, and I think being a general manager, um, you know, that was something that he did, but I think he never lost the love of scouting players, and, and he had a great knack for it, that's for sure. Very well said. Wayne Larravee will have the call alongside Larry McCarron Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock kick, 2.05 to be exact, from Lambeau Field. Wayne, we're hoping for a little bit of snow, and we hope uh, you're calling a winner on Sunday. Thanks for your time tonight. All the best, guys. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You do the same. That's the voice of the Packers, Wayne Larvey. Coming up next, we'll hear from QB1, a little bit from Aaron Rodgers on Sunday's matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's after this. They get motion to the left, faking the handoff. Rodgers looks to throw, lofts it over the middle. Got his man wide open. Touchdown, Robert Tunyon. For Tunyon, his sixth touchdown of the season, and the Packers take the lead, 6 nothing. 
Coming up in hour number two of the program, is this the most prolific Final Four quarterbacks in playoff history? We'll also look back at one of the more memorable matchups between the Packers and Buccaneers. They've had so many over the years. Do you remember the Snow Globe game? Jason Wildey will join us. And from the makers of the three-word game comes the Three More Words game. That is a thrilling sequel. <laughs> I, I, for one, cannot wait. Okay, well, good. (laughs) We hope you can't wait either. Aaron Rodgers, the opportunity to play the NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field is something he has called for. It's something he has wanted since coming to Green Bay. Here's his opportunity in NFC Championship game number five. Yeah, it's historic. It's definitely historic. There's nothing like it. Played in, I think, just about every stadium now. I've been a lover of the NFL for most of my life, definitely most of my life that I remember and dreamt about it uh, playing in this in this stadium since I watched those VHS tapes of uh, you know the Green Bay Packers um, and the Ice Bowl and Bart Starr and Max McGee and Paul Horning and Fuzzy and Willie Davis Ray Nitschke you know that's that's what I dreamt about being a part of an organization that had that kind of excellence, Vince Lombardi, all the quotes that he he has that, you know, still resonate to this day. The trophy is named after him for a reason. Our city is nicknamed Titletown for a reason. It's a special place to play. And uh, I've never lost that perspective. I think my perspective is slightly adjusted on some other things this year, but I've never forgotten where I play and where I live, and I'm very proud of that. The last time Aaron played in a Super Bowl, he was trying to win one for Charles. Now, Rodgers is the veteran, and folks like Devontae Adams are hoping to win one for him. Rob asked you about kind of winning one for 12. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if he knows that there's that kind of feeling, because I know he felt that way for Charles Woodson and Donald Driver a decade ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure he knows that, because I'm not sure that people even think about it that way. Or, you know, I'm not sure anybody else knows that. Um, it's more so about, um, you know, just trying to get the, the Super Bowl for everybody. But, you know, deep in our hearts, you know, we know that he deserves that and that he should have more than just um, the 2010. So um, in our in our minds and the way we approach it, that's that's how we think of it. But I, his head's down and I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's not even thinking about that, that part of it at all. We're chipping away on you, Gabe. I can see it. You, you, you've turned your hat around a little bit. Now I can see that big G on your winter hat. Front facing. I don't know if I've ever heard Aaron Rodgers be this nostalgic, I guess, about the Packers and their organization. He's he has talked about the history and the respect he has for the history of the Green Bay Packers, but just the tone and the way he talked about it, especially in that clip. It seems like he's pretty locked in. Jason Wildey asked the question to Devontae Adams. He will join us as well as we continue. It's Target Tampa on WTMJ and 94.5 ESPN. 16 weeks, 13 wins, and one long playoff run ahead of us. This is Packers Championship Countdown. And the Packers will take the number one seed in the NFC into the postseason. Our mission, a Lombardi Trophy. Our target, Tampa. Our championship countdown starts now. This is Target Tampa Championship Countdown. Now, here are your hosts, Greg Matzik and Gabe Neitzel. Welcome back in. It's hour number two of the program. 
ESPN Wisconsin's Jason Wildey will join us coming up in just a few minutes. Also, we will reflect on one of the more memorable Packers-Buccaneers games played in the snow at Lambeau Field. Gene Miller with a retrospective. We'll get to that. And uh, is this the most prolific Final Four quarterbacks in playoff history? Packers injury report is relatively clean. Kevin King uh, showed up today. He did not practice due to a back issue. Kingsley Kiki ruled out of Sunday's game with a concussion-related issue. Antonio Brown will not play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I I keep wondering if one of these waiver claims is going to actually do something. Sure. It started off with excitement. Oh, they got Tavon Austin. Here we go. You start noodling, and you're in the laboratory, Gabe, thinking about how they're going to use Tavon Austin, and he's had minimal impact. And then they get Snacks Harrison. Oh, here we go. Snacks. He's going to eat his way right into the line like Howard Green did. And then they pick up Jared Valdir, and my head is still moving. This is this is helpful. There's no David Bakhtiari. Now I just don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, it, not because I don't want these guys to succeed. I don't think they need these players to succeed in order to win. And, and I love that Tremont Williams is back. I assume he'll be elevated from the practice squad and, and play or be available to play. I trust him on the field immensely. But they don't need these guys to win. But will one of them have an impact? And, and who would be more likely, I guess, to have an impact? Well, I'm, so I, I was surprised that Snacks only had three snaps. I thought he would play more in the divisional round game because, I mean, week 17, he had minimal practice time, right? There wasn't going to be a lot of time for him to be able to adjust everything that he needed to know to be ready for that game. Then you've got the bye week, another week of practice before the divisional game. So I was surprised that Snacks only had three snaps there. Um but Jared Valdir is, to me, valuable depth that the Packers lost. And you're not going to replace David Bakhtiari. And I know, um, you know, Billy Turner has been fantastic, especially when he's kicked out the left tackle. He's been really good. But the, the, one of the things you lose with David Bakhtiari being out is a little bit of your depth. You know, John Runyon Jr. is probably the next guy in line. Now, that's not necessarily true. You've got Valdir who could play either tackle spot should Billy Turner or Ricky Wagner end up being injured. I think that's great. And now with Kevin King being questionable for the game, I think Tremont Williams could have a role. I think it's more likely that... Um, that Veldir ends up playing a role just because we've seen him do it before, had to last year in the divisional game when Brian Bulaga was feeling under the weather, had to come in. It just seems that offensive line depth is something that teams always try to strive to get. And the fact that the Packers do trust him and he should be ready to go off the COVID-19 reserve list, I think that Valdir has the best chance at making an impact. I like what you said about Tremont. This could get interesting. Kevin King did not play in week six against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You remember who started that game? Josh Jackson. Bingo game. We've got a prize pack for you. And Jackson actually didn't have a terrible game, but he did have two penalties in the defensive backfield that led to first downs for Tampa. Actually thought he played the run relatively well that day. They don't trust Josh Jackson. No, they don't. They don't. (laughs) And After that game, I'd have to count, but I can probably count on one hand how many games he was active for. Yeah, and that's how how you can tell. He has been a healthy scratch more often than he has not this season. He's been healthy, and he ends up on the inactive list. So this makes the whole Tremont Williams thing even that much more interesting as we welcome in ESPN Wisconsin's our good friend, all-around good guy, Jason Wildey. The timing of the Tremont Williams signing, I know he's not yet been elevated from the practice squad, but I see Kevin King's name on the injury report. I see that Tremont is in-house. 
I start dot connecting, Wildy. What's going to happen here? Well, first of all, did I just did Greg Hill just play like crowd cheering? No, we've got a live studio. Yeah, that wasn't. Uh, yeah, that wasn't a recording. That was very strange. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> quite frankly, nobody cheers when I do much of anything. Um, so I am sitting in the parking lot of the Milwaukee Ballet School and Academy, writing about Tremont Williams right now. As as I'm sure you guys heard Aaron Rodgers earlier today waxing nostalgic about Tremont and saying, I hope he plays 70 snaps on Sunday because he can still do it. Well, as Gabe said, that might actually happen. I, I don't I don't know how serious Kevin King's back injury is, but it was serious enough that he didn't practice today. It's serious enough that he's questionable on the injury report. And as you guys have just been pointing out, um, they don't trust Josh Jackson. He has clearly fallen out of favor. Um, he did start those five games that Kevin King missed at midseason with the quadriceps injury, but he has been a healthy scratch in three of their last four games. And when you're a former second-round pick and you're being a healthy scratch down the stretch run of a playoff season, that does not sound like the defensive coordinator is brimming with confidence with how you're playing. My only issue here is I didn't see Tremont play in Baltimore. I was going to fire up the the game pass and try and take a look at how he looked because, you know, I don't know how he looked with Baltimore. So he's 37 years old. He's got a ton of playoff experience, and we very well might see him play a lot of snaps on Sunday. You mentioned the quarterback being nostalgic about Tremont Williams. He just seemed nostalgic overall. We played a, a clip where he was talking about his reverence for Green Bay and how he's never lost sight of Green Bay being title town. Do you think that that's just him, again, enjoying the ride as much as possible, not knowing what his future has in store for him? You're just asking for it, Gabe. Wait, You're he's just the one. No, Jason. Yeah. He's a, Jason. He's the one. Like I got behind the clip. It was an awesome clip, really and then good. he just throws this two to three little second aside in there of, well, I may have, you know, my mind may have been changed about other things, but I've never lost sight of what Title Town is. You know, my perspective on other things may have changed, but this one hasn't. He's the one who threw it in there. He didn't have to, yeah. but he threw it in there, and I don't like it. <laughs> I, oh, I, I, I'm aware that you don't, buddy. Um, so I do think that it is still consistent with his kind of savoring uh, this season mentality. There's no question about that. Now, I happen to have one-on-one uh, -on -one scheduled with him last night. He called me uh, on his way home after he stopped at the gas station. And we talked about Ted briefly, and he shared some really I thought poignant things about his feelings and and how he had gotten to say goodbye to Ted last year when Ted came to visit because he felt like he might not see him again given the way his health was deteriorating. But then we talked about this journey that he's been on and I, I said, look, I don't know if I want to call it like this journey of self-actualization that you, you've been on all year. And he interrupted me and said, that's exactly what I would call it. And so I do think he has just been thinking in a different way. And we had some time with Mercedes Lewis today, and then I asked Rogers about Mercedes Lewis this afternoon. Um, I, I think those two are in this kind of new agey, speak things up into the universe, 
place and they have become so close and they see the world the same way. One of the things Roger said to me last night when we were talking was about how important it is to him to be in the present. So while he talked about that nostalgia, what he is definitely avoiding is thinking about the future, whether it's another year or two or three in Green Bay or being somewhere else or whether he's ever going to be this close to a Super Bowl again. He just seems, and he's seemed this way all year long, to be in a really, really good headspace about who he is, what he's capable of, how he's doing his job, how he's treating other people, and just how he's viewing the world. Jason, sometimes I make predictions on games where I look at them and I analyze them and I try and figure out what can they take away, what can they prevent, how can they attack the Buccaneers' defense. There are other times I look at the teams and I say, you know what, the Packers just have better players. I felt that way about the Packers-Rams game. I can't say I look at this team and the Buccaneers and say, well, the Packers just have better players. But I feel they're a better team. I I don't know what necessarily or specifically points me in that direction. I just feel like they're a better team. Where do you stand? Yeah, I I agree. Now, what sounds ridiculous is that the two of us are saying this, and they got waxed 38-10 to the last time they played the Buccaneers, right? I mean, that, that sounds counterintuitive. Again, I would point out, that the Buccaneers got beat pretty badly by the Saints, and we saw what happened last week in, in the Superdome. So, look, I, I do think, and Rodgers, uh, Gabe, we talked about this in the aftermath of it. He, he called that Tampa Bay game an anomaly in the immediate aftermath of it. And if you look at the way they have played since, their offensive line, Rodgers, etc., it really has proven to be an anomaly. So um, I do think their defense is playing really well. I like their offensive um, balance. But I, I don't want to say that they're far and away better personnel-wise than the Buccaneers are on offense. Their two tight ends are good. They've got two pretty pretty good running backs, although their production is not uh, what what you'd probably like to see if you're running a, a play-action scheme like Bruce Arians runs, but I think this has the makings of a really good game, but I do think the Packers are the better team, and I think we'll see that on Sunday. I mean, the Packers' defense, I thought, played pretty well in the first matchup. You look at what Tom Brady did, you know, 17-26, 166 yards. They gave up a bunch of yards on the ground, but the run defense, Jason, that's kind of been the key. They've been better. Now, they're not the best run defense in the league, but they have found a way to somehow be better in that area. And that's a big difference for me in terms of feeling about their opportunity to win this game versus going into a San Francisco game last year. Yeah, they got the doors blown off of them when they played San Francisco in the regular season. And then the same thing happened in the NFC Championship game. But I have seen remarkable, not remarkable, but remarkable improvements from this defense, which is why I feel better about going into this game despite that 38-10 to game. Yeah, I, I, my struggle with them in terms of their defense is how committed are the Smiths going to be to stopping the run and doing their job setting the edge? I think Rashawn Gary has been much better at that than Preston Smith was, but when they were having trouble in that department, the Smiths were not doing their job. And quite frankly, Zadarius Smith admitted that a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, today he was back to being kind of goofy Zedarius, and he had a, a cutout mask of himself that he was wearing. Um, but they have to continue to do that. 
That's not the glamour part of their jobs. And I commend Zadarius for acknowledging that he wasn't pulling his weight in that area. Um, but that if they don't do that, that's when they have really big problems defensively against the run. So I think that's the primary reason they've been better in that department. I also would say that Chris Barnes has been a major factor. And remember, Chris Barnes is going to have to play with some sort of cast on his hand after breaking his thumb last week. He returned to the game. We saw him unable to tackle Cam Akers with that cast on when Akers had the touchdown in the second half. But he, he has been a really important piece of what they've done defensively as well. Really appreciate your time, Jason. Uh, enjoy the game. Uh, much more importantly, enjoy listening to us as you drive back from uh, ballet practice in Milwaukee. Uh, boy, you put the miles on, my friend. What a dedicated father. Yeah. I love that. Well, I, uh, you, know, you know that that's our job as dads, and I will definitely be listening. I, I had to make sure I turned it off. Because from what I understand, long-time callers, first-time listeners usually cause feedback if they have the radio on <laughs> while they're talking to you. Jason, I hope that Boucher vehicle is a, uh, not a lease because the amount of miles you're putting it on. <laughs> they take good care of me, Gabe, thankfully. <laughs> good man. Jason, thanks so much for your time. I know it's a very busy week for you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, guys, take care. Be good. You do the same. Uh, Jason Wildey joining us from a parking lot uh, in Milwaukee. <laughs> you know, last year about this time, we were waiting for Wildey to uh, arrive at this barbecue restaurant in Santa Clara, and we got so full of chili and all the different smoked meats they brought out. I, we were meat drunk, believing the Packers <laughs> were going to find a way to win the game. But uh, uh, we're doing it for more local pastors this time around. But, it's a uh, different type of, type of drunk, but I think we've all been there. Uh, yes. Yes, indeed we have. Yes, indeed we have. Coming up next, one of the more memorable Packers-Buccaneers games in the history of their rivalry, which does go back quite a long ways. You remember the Snow Globe game? We'll take you back after this. to the left, faking the handoff, Rodgers looks to throw, lofts it over the middle, got his man wide open, touchdown, Robert Tunyon, for Tunyon, his sixth touchdown of the season, and the Packers take the lead, 6-0. Target Tampa, championship countdown continues, I'm Greg Matzik along with Gabe Neitzel. Well, crazy weather and the Green Bay Packers go hand in hand. In fact, there have been plenty of cold, snowy clashes over the decades, some more notable than others, however. There was one back in Green Bay's gory years in the mid-'80s that remains the gold standard when it comes to Klondike clashes, one that featured a visiting team ill-prepared for what the Wisconsin weather gods had in mind. Snow, it's as much a part of the Packers' Lambeau experience as beer, cheese, blaze orange, this old fight song, and of course, championships. The white stuff fell fast and furious before Vince Lombardi's Packers dueled the Browns for the NFL title at Lambeau January 2nd, 1966. In the gray chill of early dawn, the snows came to Green Bay, and the elements became a factor in the championship game. The first team to appear at Lambeau Field was coached by the groundskeeper. It included a helicopter snow sweepers, and boys with brooms. Four inches fell before kickoff, the Packers winning 23-12 for the first of three straight titles under Lombardi. Snow not the issue for another championship game, this one December 31st, 1967. The cold the biggest factor. A sellout crowd has braved the coldest New Year's Eve in the history of Green Bay, Wisconsin, to witness
witness the 1967 NFL championship game between the Dallas Cowboys and Green Bay Packers. Spoiler alert, Green Bay wins 21-17. It was Lombardi's last game as head coach at Lambeau. Fast forward to January 8, 2008, divisional playoff tussle against the Seahawks, one that saw the Packers plummet into an early 14-0 hole. Things could not have started any worse. Playoff jitters. Before the snow started to pile up. It's like a snow globe here. It's a winter wonderland. Very hard to see the yard lines. As did the Packers' points. They'd win 42-20. The last game Brett Favre would win as a Packer in Green Bay. But does anyone remember the Snow Bowl? December in Tampa Bay means you may need a sweater. December in Green Bay means you do need a shovel. What a difference a bay makes. December 1st, 1985, a meaningless late-season clash between two teams going nowhere. Forrest Gregg's Packers and the oh-so-out-of-their-element Buccaneers of Tampa Bay. On a day when any son would have been welcome, Lehman Bennett and the Bucks arrived at Lambeau Field in Green Bay with a 14-inch snowstorm as an escort. Press box operations man Clem Collard had seen every Packers home game since 1919 and deemed that day the worst, with the only exception being that aforementioned 65 NFL championship with the Browns. Oh, and did we mention the breeze? Wind gusts hitting 40 miles an hour with a kickoff temp of 28. The wind chill was right around zero. Even in the gory years, the Packers usually packed the house, but this day only 19,856 were able to navigate the blizzard and find their spots on Lambeau's snow-covered aluminum benches. That meant a record-setting 36,586 no-shows, the smallest crowd ever for a game at Lambeau, at least until COVID. Lynn Dickey, the quarterback, had a great day. It would be his last start with the Packers. He completed 22 of 36 for 299 yards. He would tell reporters afterward, you just gotta accept it. I just try to grab it and throw it the best I can. When you don't throw it real well to begin with, everyone else comes down to my level. I can't explain it. Two Packers running backs ran for more than 100 yards. Eddie Lee Ivory, 109. Gary Ellis, 101. Gonna be second down at about five yards to go. Here is the handoff. Coming to the left is Gary Ellis. Ellis looking for a first down and he's got it. He's on his feet. He's gonna go. Down the left sidelines. Gary Ellis, touchdown, Green Bay. The final score, Packers 21, Tampa Bay nothing. The Bucks did get out of Wisconsin that night, but several players staged a protest convinced it wasn't safe to fly. Eventually, the pilot had to come out of the cockpit to tell them that he too had a wife and family and wouldn't put the players at risk by taking off in dangerous conditions. Show us the pictures, one Buccaneer called out. He said you could hear a pin drop as the plane rolled down the runway. The win improved the Packers to 6-7-0 on the season with another Florida team, the Dolphins at Lambeau, the following Sunday. The previous weekend's dump piled up against the stands. The field and the skies were clear. It would still be the third coldest game in Dolphins history up to that point. We'd like to welcome those of you that just joined us as the Miami Dolphins just moved out in front of Green Bay, 26-24. The Fish won 34-24. Green Bay would end the season 8-8 eight and eight and well out of the postseason hunt. It's just spectacular work by Gene Miller. The forecast, by the way, for this weekend's NFC Championship game, one to three inches of snow Saturday night could linger into Sunday. 60% chance of scattered showers ahead of kickoff. Less than an inch of fresh accumulation is expected. What a look back. Just incredible stuff. Beautiful storytelling. <laughs> it's, uh, just when you think it's not going to get funnier, <laughs> you get a pilot who has to convince players that he also has a family 
And the response from the Buccaneers is picks or it didn't happen, bro. Right, right. Well, I, I think it is going to be an interesting weekend here in football. Of course, you've got the the one warm weather team, truly warm weather team in Tampa Bay. Uh, Buffalo's used to playing in the elements. Kansas City, they thrive in it. So does Green Bay. I, I'm curious to see which quarterbacks really stand out in the elements. And if one is hampered by it in any way, or if one team, I guess, is hampered by it. This is, I think, if I'm looking back, Gabe, in history, I don't know that we have had a more prolific quartet of quarterbacks in the championship game in recent memory. I, this is about as good as it gets. You've got the collection of Super Bowls and MVPs with Brady, with Rodgers, who's obviously going to be MVP this year. Josh Allen is an MVP candidate. Uh, might get a couple of votes. Patrick Mahomes, last year's Super Bowl MVP and a league MVP as well at a very young age. You've got 80 years of Life experience in Rodgers and Brady. You've got the Young Bucks and Allen and Mahomes. I, I love everything about the quarterback matchups. Like the only thing that really comes to mind for me might be in the 90s when the Packers went to the Super Bowl for the second time. They went to San Francisco. They played Steve Young. So you had on one side, you had Brett Favre. You had Steve Young. So you've got couple of MVP winners there. John Elway, I don't know who the Broncos played that year and defeated in the AFC, but that's about the only, in terms of like star power, I mean, you have this year the league MVP, the other two guys who are presumably going to get MVP votes because they got all pro votes and, and are on the second team all pro over in the AFC and Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and oh, by the way, the guy who's won the most Super Bowls in the history of the sport and has three MVPs on his mantle in his own right. Like, this is an unbelievable um, accumulation of talents at the quarterback position. And we know that quarterbacks, I mean, that's what you need. Teams are just hoping that they draft the right quarterback so they can pay him someday and make it this far in the postseason. But this is an unbelievable collection um, in terms of the proficiency that they had last year of this past season and the MVPs accumulated between all th- all four. So here are the numbers. 18,216 passing yards combined, 163 touchdown passes, 33 interceptions, combined quarterback rating 109.4. I still don't know how to calculate a quarterback rating. I'm not going to put myself through the displeasure of trying, but I know that's good. 109.4. That's that's for a big four, matzo ball right there. four guys? That's just, just insane. That's in, Yeah, that's just stupid. I mean, you look at what Josh Allen was able to do this year. Uh, Tom Brady was second in the league in, um, in, in touchdown passes. Aaron Rodgers led the league in touchdown passes. Josh Allen, top five in yards. And then you throw in what Josh Allen was able to do running the football on top of it. And Patrick Mahomes is the reigning league MVP and still does ridiculous things on a weekly basis. It's 109.4 for four guys? That's unbelievable pass uh, Greg Hill will check our math on that, but uh, lofty totals nonetheless. 855-616-1620 if you'd like to join us here. I just want to know where your, your head is at going into this, this weekend's game. A year ago, I was not confident. Today, I'm confident as evidenced by my packed bag, which is sitting next to me. Uh, I think I need more polo shirts or a Hawaiian shirt, as Wayne Larvey suggested. Coming up next, from the makers of the three-word game comes the three more words game. It's Target Tampa Championship Countdown on WTMJ and ESPN Milwaukee.
second and ten. He takes, fakes the handoff to Sanders, steps up, and now hurts his hip, and he's sacked. Back inside the 40-yard line. Try to step up. The pocket collapsed, and a host of Green Bay defenders were there. Craig Matson and Gabe Neitzel back with you. It's Target Tampa Championship Countdown with you for another half hour or so. Greg Hill producing the program. We like creating poll questions, whether they make sense or not. Greg, can you add one to the 620 WTMJ Twitter feed? Sure thing. Which late-season veteran signing will have the most significant impact for the Packers the remainder of the playoffs? Tavon Austin, Snacks Harrison, Jared Valdir, or Tremont Williams? Four choices. I think we only really have four options. Throw it up on Twitter. We'll get people's reaction. Uh, We are trying to gauge the reaction of our listeners to... What has happened throughout this season for the Packers, Wayne? So, I, uh, Gabe, Gus, whatever your name is. Hello. You stop laughing in there. Wayne may or may not have called Gabe Gus on the radio broadcast network a week ago. Can't prove it. Uh, we cannot prove it. Anyways. Uh, Moving on. I, Gabe, I sensed a little bit of uh, that week six game. It's, it's still kind of hanging over my head. As uh, I strolled into the studio, a very confident man with a packed duffel bag ready to go to Tampa. I think I have too much in the Department of Warm Clothing, however. But I can manage that. Have we chipped away a little bit at you? A, a little bit. And I think at the end of the day, I'm still going to pick the Packers to win. I just don't feel super confident about it. Like I felt confident about them beating the Rams this week. Not as confident as I would had the Saints come to town. And I think we saw why, because Drew Brees just... The, the 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 Buccaneers defense last week they were just able to sit, right? They knew Breeze wasn't going to take the top off of their their defense, and that's something that Rodgers is going to be able to challenge them to do. I think the Packers offensive line is vastly improved from Week Six. I don't think that the Buccaneers are going to be able to get the pressure that they did. That being said, I think they're probably going to get more pressure. I think than the Rams did. Aaron was only hit once last week. If they're able to do that against the speed of Tampa Bay, it's just a tougher matchup. Not to say I don't think they can win, but it's just a tougher matchup, and 38-10 to 10 is a tough one to shake off. Like, I, I, I just don't understand how they can just pretend, oh yeah, week six, practically 2014, who cares? Didn't really happen, doesn't really matter. No, I think it still matters. I think there's still some matchup things that need to be addressed. My guess is that Matt LaFleur also addressed them. The other thing that I've got in the back of my mind, after they played the Buccaneers, the Packers said, yeah, our week of practice wasn't that great, which wouldn't be concerning. You're not going to practice great for 17 weeks in an NFL season. You'll have some bad weeks of practice. It happens. But that's also what they said last year after the NFC Championship game, that even though they were playing an NFC Championship game, the Super Bowl was on the line. After the game, yeah, the week of practice, it was just missing juice. Something was missing. Now, we don't know if that was the case this this past week of practice. That's not something they would talk about until after the game, should they happen to lose. It's not like somebody stands there on Saturday going, oh boy, I hope things go well tomorrow. We didn't practice well all week. It's not something you're going to bring up before that, but it's just, it's something that's back there. It's something that's happened. And it's something that, again, if they go out, they play well, they practiced well all week, then you forget about it. But there have been times under the Matt LaFleur regime, as good as it's been, that they have not prepared well before big-time matchups. Here's why I don't think that's as much of an issue this year as it was last year. Last year, the first time Matt LaFleur and the Packers went out to face 
Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, what happened? They got clobbered. They, whew. So all the discussion leading up to that game was, hey, Matt, you're gonna, you, you know, go against your brother. Hey, how fun. Yeah, Kyle Shanahan, this is a great time. You guys are good friends. Uh, will you have breakfast together? But where will you stay? Do you just stay at your brother's house? And Matt, oh, it's kind of fun. You know, I have a lot of respect for those guys. They've learned a lot. They work together. And they met at you know the 50-yard line before the game. They're shaking hands, you know, hugs all around. And you know what happened after Matt LaFleur walked away from his brother and Kyle Shanahan? Matt had a smile on his face. Oh, this is going to be fun. And Kyle and Matt LaFleur's brother said, we're going to rip their throats out. And the Packers got buried twice. I don't think Matt was quite as jovial when he was on the field with Sean McVay before the game against the Rams last week. Maybe not as much with Mike Vrabel when they faced the Tennessee Titans. This is not a a widely reported story. It's my own speculation. I think Matt LaFleur's growth is part of the reason why I feel supremely confident about the Packers this time around. He could not beat his teachers last year. He has had no issue doing that this time around. Handled the 49ers during the regular season. Handled McVay last week with no issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and again, I, it's, I'm not saying I think Matt LeFleur is a bad coach. I'm just saying it's something that I've noticed. It was something that popped into my head when we were talking with Jason earlier about after that Tampa Bay game, eh, we didn't have a great week of practice. Okay, that's a little concerning. But again, they've they've put together the resume since that game has been undeniable. I mean, Aaron has been spectacular. The, backer, the Packers' offense, unbelievably good. The offensive line, even without David Bakhtiari, best in the league. So I think, and you know, they, they didn't make the adjustments that they have with the offensive line back in Week 6. I believe they kicked Rick Wagner out to left tackle, and that went poorly. Granted, at that point, they were already down 28-10 to 10 when, when Bakhtiari got hurt. I think they're equipped to make the adjustments. But that doesn't mean that they're just going to make the adjustments and then, oh, now they're going to win 38-10. to 10. This is a talented Buccaneers team that you can't overlook. Earlier in the segment, I called Gabe Wayne. It was all part of a stall technique. I was trying to find the answers and updated results of our poll question. Really, it's all it was. Uh, up on 620 WTMJ on Twitter, championship countdown poll number one. How do you feel about... Sunday's game against the Buccaneers, 70%. Bags packed for Super Bowl 55. 29.7% say can't shake the Week 6 loss. And that is 158 votes that are in. So uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we have chipped away at our listeners a little bit. Uh, My bag is packed. By the end of the show, 20 minutes from now, I hope you will consider packing a bag when you go home. (laughs) Literal, figurative, figurative. Whatever it may be. All right, coming out, rubbing out, rounding out the segment here. It's time to kick it over to Greg Hill. Last week, we played a very exciting game. It was called the three-word game. This week, we are going to play a very exciting game called the three-more-word game. I guess it's words. Uh, it's a very simple game. Greg, walk us through the rules, will you please? Off to a good start. Exactly as you said, Greg, the three more words game. I will run through the remaining teams left in the NFL playoff picture. You will give me three more words. The only difference is preferably three different words you used last week. And we have half the teams to choose from. To avoid the obvious, we'll start in the AFC. Three words to describe the Buffalo Bills. Allen needs improvement. 
And that's not uh, for the entire season. That's just specifically to the game that they played against the Chiefs earlier this year and the Josh Allen we saw last week. If the Bills want to go into Kansas City and dethrone the defending champions, Josh Allen needs to be the guy that got first-team All-Pro votes. That's the guy he needs to be. Uh, Last week... 23-37, 23-37, 206 yards, and a touchdown. Very early. It was it was like a Brett Favre playoff game. He was all chinged up, and he was just overthrowing everybody downfield. Like He had guys open, he just couldn't hit them. He was overthrowing them. The first time they played the Kansas City Chiefs, a 26-17 Chiefs victory, Josh Allen was 14-27 of 27 for 122 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He just needs to be better throwing the ball against the Kansas City Chiefs than he was last week and the first time around if the Bills want to pull off an upset. My three more words for the Buffalo Bills are they must run. They will get smoked if they're not able to run the ball against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Sometimes the greatest defense against Patrick Mahomes is watching him stand on the sidelines because your offense is able to control the clock. So against the Colts, pretty good run defense, good defense overall. Again, the Bills won 27-24. Allen played as you suggested he needs to play, Gabe. He was on fire. 324 yards, two touchdowns, 54 yards on the ground and a touchdown. He had the confines of Buffalo that you were playing in, so comfortable situation. But the running back situation is a bad one right now in Buffalo. And I don't know how this happened, because that used to be all they could do (laughs) is run the football. Then they get Stephon Diggs, and now they can't. Devin Singletary is the lead healthy back for the Buffalo Bills. Three carries, 21 yards, which is reasonable production, but just three carries in the win over Indianapolis. He had 25 yards in a starring role against Baltimore with far more attempts. Zach Moss is hurt. This is a real problem. Uh, Allen's a good young player, no doubt. He's fun to watch. The the Bills are a fun team to watch, and I think this game is going to be very entertaining. But if they can't run, they can't win. Three words to describe the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll start with this one, Gabe. It's Pat's big toe. (laughs) Uh, I'm not worried about the, uh, the mind or the inner workings or the synapses firing. I think he's fine. It's clear the concussion protocol he's going to start. I'm a little more wondering about that toe. I've never had a turf toe injury. I've spoken to folks who have, and they say it's brutal. It's terrible. It's painful. Seems very innocent, though. Oh, turf toe. Yeah. Uh, how, how bad can turf toe it, hurt? It just seems like a little toilet paper stuck to your heel, right? <laughs> oh, we're f- just step on it. It'll come off. Yeah, thank you very much, and then you go on your merry way. Patrick Mahomes threw more passes than any quarterback in the NFL out of the pocket this year. He also completed more passes and had more touchdowns than any quarterback when out of the pocket. It's a big reason why the Chiefs are so dangerous. I'm not suggesting his mobility is going to be entirely zapped, but I wonder how cautious they will have him be if he truly is hobbled. Will he have to maybe fire a couple of balls away and you would ordinarily try and make something happen with his legs or use his legs to set up a throw? Pat's big toe. Mahomes is healthy. Uh, that's the big one for me because, and, and look, Henny did some good things. Almost beat the Packers last year. Actually beat the Minnesota Vikings, who were a very good team a year ago when he had to be pressed into action for Patrick Mahomes. But... When you look at Kansas City, and, and look, amazing play call by Andy Reid, 
the the guts to make that call on fourth and one and put it in your backup quarterback's hands. Chad Henney is one of the better, more capable backup quarterbacks in the league. But when Patrick Mahomes is in there, he's one of the more dynamic players in the league. He needs to be healthy. If it's Chad Henney, the Buffalo Bills are going, whoa, thank goodness we don't have to face Patrick Mahomes. Without Mahomes, the Chiefs didn't have a chance. Now, they're the overwhelming favorite to make it back to the Super Bowl. Him being healthy and being clear to the concussion protocol was the biggest thing to happen to the Kansas City Chiefs this week. The opponent for the weekend, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Three more words. Speed is scary. That's what they've built on. And and yes, they're going to be slowed down by playing in the cold and the slippery conditions of the turf at Lambeau Field. But speed is something that the Packers have struggled with. And there have been times, I think they've done a better job as the season's gone along. And this is something that I'm going to look for in the game on Sunday. The offense is based on the outside zone play. You want to run that outside zone, run some play action, bootlegs off of that. There have been times against really good defenses where that outside zone, the Packers just have struggled with it. But all three backs have been good at running inside. And that's an adjustment I think that they've made. It hasn't been as much outside zone. There's, it's still there at times, but I think they've become a better team at running in between the tackles, and that's something that the Packers are going to have to do. Maybe run it right at Vitavia if he plays. Run it at White. Run it, run it at those speedy inside linebackers. Don't let them go sideline to sideline. Try to get them in a confined space where you might have a chance at blocking them and try to run the ball that way with all three talented backs that you have. Three more words for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not their year been a solid season they've done a lot of work on the road impressive work and yes they did clobber the Packers earlier this season it's not their year Tom Brady's going to lose in his first ever NFC championship game has an incredible record in the AFC championship games and yes his Super Bowl history and what he's done in the playoffs well documented I don't know that there's a player you would look at in the entire NFL and bet against fewer times than Tom Brady, given his track record. I just think it ends in Green Bay. If I look back at week six and I continue to chip away at you, Gabe, I say Matt LaFleur took the Packers out of their game plan more so than the Buccaneers. And it was sort of a panic reaction to a pair of interceptions from Aaron Rodgers. And all of a sudden, the run game just kind of went away. But they averaged four and a half yards per carry against that number one ranked run defense. I think staying within the game plan, not turning the ball over, I don't think it's a complicated recipe for a win. You do that, and this bag that I have literally packed sitting next to me will get more clothes in it. And finally, the reason we are all here this evening, three words to describe your Green Bay Packers. Well, I workshopped, and I wasn't able to make this fit into three words. This (laughs) one's for Josiah. (laughs) Uh, we all know the Packers are playing for Josiah DeGuara. Oh, that's yes. The injured rookie H back. Goes without saying. Tight end, F back. I don't even know what they call him anymore. My three words, Gabe, packed for Tampa. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> My three words, Rodgers is king. I think this is Aaron Rodgers' year. He has stated before, well before this year, man, it'd be cool if we had one of these in Lambeau. The last time the Packers hosted an NFC Championship game was the 2007 season. It was Brett Favre's last game as a member of the Green Bay Packers. Fast forward now to 13 years later, they finally get another NFC Championship game. Despite playing 
and four other NFC Championship games in that stretch. They finally get one at Lambeau Field. And the way that Aaron has had his self-actualization going on this year, and this is something that he desperately wanted, an NFC Championship game at Lambeau, I don't think he lets the Packers down. I don't think that he allows them to lose the game on Sunday. He will find a way to get to his and the Packers' second Super Bowl with him at quarterback. little preview of the Packers Radio Network pregame show, but who might an unsung hero be? I always try and pick this out of the group. Who, who's going to be the guy who you look at and say he came up huge at the biggest time? You know who would be? The coolest answer to this? Is MVS, right? No, it would be Tremont Williams. Well, there you go. I love that. Like, that would be the coolest answer for him to come back and somehow play a big role. Um, but I think it is going to be MVS. Last week it was Alan Lazard, and, and that was his biggest game. Lazard, you know, he didn't quite get to 100 yards, but he was his closest to it since he had nearly 150 yards against the Saints in back in week three. Uh, so he's played a big role. But I think MVS, that's the one thing that the Packers can do that the Saints couldn't. They've got guys that they can take the top off through their play-action game. MVS is the guy that can do it, and that's something that the, the Buccaneers have struggled with at times, guys going up top. So I really like MVS. I do think that that's a good pick in terms of an unsung hero for the game on Sunday afternoon. You've been listening to three more words. We will wrap up the program. Target Tampa Championship Countdown after this. Third and about four. Snap to Rodgers. Blitz on. Rodgers lofts it deep down the middle. Got a man out there. It's MVS, and he is Gone! 10-5! End zone! Touchdown! Green Bay Packers! 72 yards! Greg Madsigan, Gabe Knightson with you as we wrap up Target Tampa Championship Countdown on WTMJ and at 94.5 ESPN in Milwaukee. Some final thoughts here, Gabe, before we head into Sunday's matchup. I'm, I'm glad it's one week in between games instead of the two-week lead-up. I love the bye week, don't get me wrong, but I don't know that I could have done this for two weeks. I mean, I'm, I'm clearly excited for the game. There are reasons to be concerned. But like I said, I think Aaron Rodgers finds a way to get it done. The Packers have a talented bevy of running backs, and I don't think they abandoned the run the way they did the last time. I think they get touches for Aaron Jones, for Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon. They, they find a role for all three backs, and that's where they can take advantage. Despite Tampa Bay having that number one rushing defense, I think the Packers' offensive line can open up enough holes for those guys to make a difference and have Aaron Rodgers to be able to take a couple of shots downfield off of play action. And we already have 194 votes in on our second Twitter poll of the night. Which late-season veteran addition will make the biggest impact on the team for the remainder of the playoffs? 194 votes in, 52.6% say Snacks Harrison. Now, it should be worth noting that Kingsley Kiki will not play again. He's missed a few games here due to the, a concussion-related issue. Uh, Snacks only had three snaps, to your point. I, I was a little surprised he wasn't used more often. Uh, but granted, uh, this... He's played a handful of games this year. I do wonder what his conditioning level is, but I was a little surprised to not see him as much against the Rams. Yeah, I'm not expecting him to have the same number of snaps as Kenny Clark, um, but three was seemed a little low to me. And again, maybe he hasn't earned that through his either comfort level or performance in practice. Tremont Williams with 30% of our votes. Now 203 votes are in, and this is an interesting one to watch given today's injury report that listed Kevin King as questionable. With a back issue, he did not practice on Friday, so his status remains, well, in question. Oh, looky there. It's number 38 on the practice field. 
He played for the Baltimore Ravens a week ago, and the Packers don't trust Josh Jackson. That seems clear. This could be a very interesting situation for Tremont Williams to jump into. The Packers go from potentially having the first player to play for two different teams during the postseason with Jared Valdir last week. and Obviously, Valdir landed on the COVID-19 reserve list. They now have the possibility to have two players do it in the same game. Very well could happen. <laughs> That's why. Very well could happen. Would love to see both of them on the field uh, in Tampa for Super Bowl 55. All right, did we clear the air? Are you feeling better? I, you got a bigger smile on your face than we a did bit. when I'm, we started. I'm, I'm incredibly excited for the game. Again, I wish it was tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> having to wait another you know, 48 hours or 24 hours, whatever, I'm bad at math. Whatever the number of hours I have to wait between now and the start of kickoff, I don't like it. I'd rather have it be tomorrow at 2 o'clock than Sunday at 2 o'clock. Well, Gabe, I hope we're doing this show again in about a week. We want to thank Andrew Brandt for joining us, Wayne Larvey, and Jason Wildey. We thank you for being a part of our program each and every time we do it. Hopefully there's another one talking about the run to Tampa. We leave with, we leave you with this on WTMJ and 94.5 ESPN in Milwaukee. This is such a special honor to be able to lead this team. The play the Packers in the NFC Championship game. The two best teams in the conference should be getting together. It should be a great game. Confidence is high, and we finally got a game at Lambeau in one of these. The weather won't affect the ball game, I don't think, at all. Really well-coached team with a bunch of stars. Got a great offense, one of the best in the league. Maybe Tampa Bay as a team has a sense of getting to Rodgers that other teams do not. You know, them guys didn't deserve to be on the field with us. That game was such an anomaly. You can't fall into that trap of what happened last time. You got too much talent, we fly around to the ball. Well, anytime you get beat 38-10, it's hard to say. It's not as bad as it looks. Whatever the spread is on this game, give it to me and more for Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers has blown through everybody. Deep in our hearts, know that he should have more than just 2010. The second Super Bowl puts him in a different conversation. He's a bad man. Definitely thankful to be back here. Aaron Rodgers is at the height of his power. This is more about two great football teams going against each other. You start thinking about the Super Bowl, get your ass beat, and you packing your bags on Monday. We stuff ourselves. I think that's, that's been proven at this point. Think about what we're saying here. Things are lining up for us to do what we set out doing back in April. What's happened in the past, it really doesn't matter. It's about what we do moving forward. It make for a great football game. No more pressure than usual. That's how it should be, you know. Bang, bang, won't stop till we legends.